Ubuntu. Ubuntu is actually you exist because of others. I am because you are. Without you, I'm nothing. And you are nothing without me. The ambassador from South Africa, Ambassador Goyama. Ambassador Goyama, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Thank you so much, Lance, for, for the opportunity. Great. Seeing you the other night, we had a big event here at the American Club the other night. It was South African night, right? It was first Friday, and you were there. Now, I did not think much. I thought maybe you were a member or something because you were wearing your national colors. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a T-shirt. Yeah. So you said hello like this, and then you said, well, I'm the South African ambassador. And I went, whoa. <laughs> and then I asked you if you'd come to the podcast, and you said, sure. And Absolutely. I was really, really pleased and feel so honored. No, thank you. Thank you so ambassador, much. Ambassador, one of the first questions I ask everyone is, where were you born? I was born in South Africa in the province called Eastern Cape mm -hmm. in South Africa, in an area called then and Yudnik. Uh, or Port Elizabeth area, which now has been renamed into Nelson Mandela Metropolitan City. So that's where I come from. I was born in that area and brought up in that area. You have siblings? I have siblings. We're 10 altogether at home. Okay. And uh, right now, many of them passed on, including my parents, of course. Okay. And uh, what, what, Where were you ranking in there? I was number three. You're number three. I was number. I was number three. And above you are what a boy. Or it, it was. It, it was two brothers. Two brothers. Two brothers before me. The first one was a dancer. The second one was also a dancer and a sportsman as well. Okay. And uh, myself and uh, the eldest wanted me to be a dancer, but I was too stiff for dancing. Wait, uh, so you I mean became that was his, ca his career or what he did as a sport? No, no. It was just uh, in a sport. Yes. Okay, because he was he did it whilst he was at school. Mm. Okay. Yes. And he became, even after he finished his uh, school, he started to, to do dancing, okay. focusing on that. Yeah. Uh, well, traditional dancing? No, 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 ballroom dancing. Oh, ballroom dancing. <laughs> ballroom so, he can, dancing. So, so he did this for competition? Or Com something? Competition, competition, yes. Okay, yes. so below you, you have seven more. Seven more, and uh, my brother, and uh, who is no more as well, and uh, the sisters, three of them and another brother and uh, as well. So uh, we're five altogether who are now surviving. Okay, mm -hmm. so there were four boys and six girls? No, there were three boys. Three boys? No, there were three, three girls, sorry. Three girls. Three girls and seven, seven guys. Boys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so well, see, now you grew up, I think apartheid started in South Africa in 1940. 1948. 48. And you were born in 52. 1952. So that means you had about five years before seven, wait, was that about five years? Would that be about right? Yes. Yeah, four year, four yeah. years? Yeah. Four years before, but it was, it was becoming really strong. Yeah. You were starting to get controls. That was actually the, 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 the prime time. I was thinking and, so, uh, in 52. It was, it was uh, the prime time because those are the times when uh, laws of oppression were actually being introduced. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, the Land Act, and uh, the laws relating to the Group Areas Act, and uh, meaning that uh, African people and black people in general cannot open business or even stay 
in the urban areas or the city centers of the country. They were actually and, uh, discriminated against and therefore they had to stay in what was referred to at the time as townships. And uh, so those were the times and, and also at the time when the, the, the land was actually disposition of land and uh, from people. People were taken away from their land and land was uh, and, uh, taken over and possessed by uh, white people and business people. When did this become evident to you? Because don't worry, you were born in 52, so it yes. was in effect, but when did you realize that it wasn't fair? Well, you when know, you when, 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 when you grow... And How you old were you, maybe? And uh, when you grow, you, you think that everything is just normal. Right. And uh, so at that time, I was still very young. But as, as you grow and you begin to experience and you listen, because your, your parents begin to talk and about unfairness, about discrimination, then you listen, you, what is happening here? But how old were you when, this, when you really started to think, this isn't right? Because I remember my parents, when white people would come to our homes to sell vacuum cleaners or yeah. whatever, I remember they would say, <coughs> they would call the person a sob, S-O-B. Uh -huh. And I was sob, and I nev they never told me what that meant, <laughs> and I didn't know what they were talking about, and I was much older before I realized yeah. what they were saying. Yeah. So how old were you when it started to hit you? I think I must have been plus or minus 12 years old, okay. somewhere there, and uh, then I started to, to realize, okay, and even as we're playing, then uh, as you grow, you begin to see and listen and see the codes used. And and the uh, people talking about as they are walking in the street, you see some people, elderly people, greeting themselves like this, and uh, with a clenched and a fist and a and a thumb like this. Then uh, even my parents, I would actually see them doing that. And in the afternoon, maybe on Sundays, you see them gradually moving very slowly to the hall. And uh, after church, then that's where. Apparently, meetings were held and everything, and so many things were being uh, debated and discussed about how to mobilize and uh, for the new organization and uh, the African National Congress at the time, which is ANC. And that started, was established when? <coughs> no, the, 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 the ANC was established in 1912. That's what I thought. That's been there for a it long time. It was established in 1912, yeah. so within the townships, it was starting to be introduced and uh, it did not come and become strong everywhere. It moved on, it started even in the church because it came out of the, the Ethiopian church and uh, in South Africa, Ethiopianism. And that's another very interesting part of our history. And uh, where does Ethiopianism come from? It's because Ethiopia and, uh, was actually and, uh, respected as a country that never it was never colonized. Occupy, never colonized, Ethiopia. Never right. colonized. So right. there was that spirit. I and see. then it started in the church. When the churches started to say that, and uh, we can't be taking the little monies that we have and actually contribute in the building of the churches owned predominantly by white people. And uh, so some ministers and uh, guys like... Uh, the late uh, Duane, Reverend Duane, and uh, Tile, and uh, many others. And uh, they started to shape up their own churches. 
and the Ethiopianism church. Right. Yeah. This sign, the sign with the fist and the thumb up, was that the sign we're going to have a meeting tonight? No, this, 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 this sign is greeting people. And as you greet, this, this finger has to be like this, meaning it, it must come back, just like this. It must come back. Our land? Our, our land, property, our country, our, 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 our continent. Our continent. Africa must come back. Come back. And, uh, and you walk, and, and you don't realize what is happening. Then you just see the old man greeting another old man. He's actually motivating and recharging, right. mobilizing for the African and uh, come back and they uh, come back. How old were you when it really struck you? Like I remember in my, my time, there was a time when I really saw the difference. I was in a school event and I went to a white school and their high school looked like a college compared to my school. Mm -hmm. The cars they drove, the books they had, that's the first time I felt poor. Mm -hmm. I thought we were okay mm -hmm. until I saw that. Yes. And just the looks on their face, they looked like what I'd always seen on television because mm -hmm. you never saw black mm -hmm. people on TV when we were mm -hmm. young. In America, you didn't see them. You always mm. saw white people. You saw Father Knows Best. You never saw that. Mm. So when was it when you thought, this is not right? Well, I must have been plus or minus 15 years old okay. at the time. And I was in the higher primary. And uh, higher primary built and shabbily compared to the white institutions and colleges and high schools. And uh, within our area, we had uh, a school called Branvach and another one, and they called Muir College. And as you would actually be going to town or even going to hospital, and you see the young boys and girls coming out of the school, you see the beautiful uniforms, you look at the school, and uh, you look and you say, but what is happening? Why is it that uh, my school can't be like this? And you begin to, to say, one day I will start in that school. And uh, you can't put together as to exactly the system itself. Your parents never sat you down and told you, look, we're under apartheid, it's not <coughs> fair, because they, they knew clearly what was happening. Oh, it definitely they knew, and they, they would educate us in many ways. They, they actually educate you differently. They don't actually tell you 100%. They give you values. Such as? Lines. Give me some ideas. They give you values to say that uh, Unit, it is important that you care for your brother and you care for others. And that uh, you don't exist for yourself. You exist together with others. And they continue to, to drum this. And they say, you must have Ubuntu. 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 Ubuntu is actually you exist because of others. I am because you are. Without you, I'm nothing. And you are nothing without me. They would start in that way. And uh, then, even in the, in the way we sit and eat at home, you are never given your plate and individually. You are given one big dish and food there. Each and everyone is having a spoon. You learn to eat together. So you are shaped up in that kind of way. And then you begin to understand that there's Ubuntu. Is that Zulu? It's, 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 yeah, it, it is, mm -hmm. it is Nguni. Nguni, okay. Nguni is a combination of Zulu, Kosa, and right. Ndebele and others. Okay. Yeah, even in, in other languages, and the African languages like Sutu and so on. They say the same? And uh, Butu. 
Yeah. Mm. It's the same. Whether you go to Kenya, you go everywhere, they have that team. It's a philosophy. It's a very strong adage for Africans. That's why Africans generally, when they look at a child, it's your child. Sure. Any child is your child. And uh, we grew up in that kind of environment, and uh, so you would actually feel that even if you, you walk around with your, you're starting to be smart at girlfriend and so on, but uh, when you look at the parents, when you see the elderly people, you must separate immediately. The one will be there and they're walking here and they begin to talk because they're giving respect to, to elderly people because every child is my child and every parent is your parent. I am because you are Ubuntu. And therefore you can't pass on somebody that is struggling and you have a, maybe a loaf of bread and you are sitting there eating in your home and next door there's nothing. And uh, it's not humanity. It's Ambassador, not humaneness. Ambassador, listening to that, and I've lived in Japan for 50 years now. Yes. How do you find the parallels between the way you grew up and Ubuntu, <laughs> Ubuntu, mm -hmm. and the Japanese society? What do you see this similar? Or There's very much similarity. How? How do you see it? The way I, I look at it, I mean, the Japanese people generally are respecting. They are respecting and they, you can't just do things because you feel it's your right to talk in the lift. It's my right to do this, it's my right to do that. It's different uh, generally from the Western way of do, doing things. There's a bit of collectivity here in, in, in Japan and I think it's coming from their own culture of uh, s samurais and so on and so forth. And uh, they continue in that way. And uh, so there is definitely similarities. And uh, that's what myself I've, I've seen and uh, when I came here that definitely there are similarities between our African way and, and the Japanese way. Did you find it easy for yourself? Because you were at Spain prior to this, mm. in Spain. Yes. Spain was a different story for you. How was, <laughs> how was Spain compared to here? Well, Spain is a, is a typical uh, Western country. There, there's life, social life generally. People are enjoying life and uh, football, everything, and uh, style, everything. When you come here, you see people walking in the streets wearing black uh, pants and a white shirt, the majority of them with a saturated back, and you say to yourself, hey, what's happening? Is, there, is this a uniform that is supposed to be put on by people when they go to work? And until after some time, it's formal. People are just formal. They are very serious. They are focused in their work. And different from a country like Spain or maybe London or so on. So that, that, that's the difference. That, that's what I actually picked up when I came here. And the silence. That's the silence in the streets. And people are just walking, keeping quiet. You don't find people like, well, in my, in my country in South Africa, when Hey, how are you? Hey, Papa, how was the match yesterday? The Kaiser Chiefs, hey, the Springboks played this way and that way. Oh, man, Pollard was very, very good. Now I'm talking about players, rugby players. Right. I'm talking about even the current World Cup. In South Africa, people will be singing in the streets and what have you. But here, 
You'd never know. Order. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, order. Different, di totally different way of life. And, well, in my country, we've taken a lot because it's a hodgepodge. Diversity. And in South Africa, that's what I love about my country. It is that diversity of views, of opinions, and uh, the way of life, the style. And uh, this one is listening to music and in the street to see somebody dancing and everybody's just standing there. And the person decided to dance for everybody. And to find kids coming together at the, maybe at the waterfront in Cape Town. And during holidays, they are busy singing and doing the, the dance, the, the traditional dance and so on. And others decide, this, you find one individual is playing his own sex. That's the kind of culture that now I've come to to be brought up with. When you were, with, okay, after adolescence and you got a little bit older and you started deciding a direction to go in, you, yeah. know, you understand the disparities between Africans and white South Africans. Mm -hmm. What subjects did you decide to take up? Because you're a, you're a career diplomat? Are you a career diplomat? No, 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 no. You're not. You're no. a businessman. I'm a politician. A politician? Yes. I'm okay. a politician. I've been, right, an, activist. Started, I've been right. an activist. An activist, Lance. right. All your life. That's right. Because when you left the ANC, mm -hmm. you started COPE. Yes. We started COPE. S started COPE. Yeah. Right. And I think I saw something about it. You've learned what most people never learn, that it's always difficult to get in front of people. Mm -hmm. And when the ANC, when you got in that speech and they had the wrong things to say, everybody apologized afterwards because yeah. they wouldn't let you speak because you just left the ANC because yeah. you said what you felt about it. It yes. had been changing. Absolutely. And, and the, the structure was breaking down. Yeah. And you wanted to stop hugging babies and kissing. You wanted to make sure that everyone understood, I'm real. This is a real gathering. Everything you've said so far, hmm. that's interesting. Let me ask you this. So Thanks, when, did you decide, when did you decide to start studying politics? Well, Lance, I didn't, I didn't actually decide to start politics, I study politics. I was more on the, on the science side in my st early studies. And uh, I went up to do, I wanted to become an engineer. And when I went to the college, and uh, the engineering department was full. So I did uh, land surveying. I registered for land surveying. And in my second year, I had the first stint of being uh, dealt and uh, with by the by the apartheid system and at uh, that age I was expelled from the college and uh, when I was doing my second year in land surveying because of the political acti activities and uh, because it was because we had a boycott it was in 1976 the notorious 1976 in South Africa when the youth and uh, started to, to rise up against the apartheid and mobilize themselves. So you were 20 in your 20s then? I was in the 20s at the yes. time. So right. then, uh, I, of course, I was part and parcel of the, the leading and the group that was actually mobilizing and uh, clandestinely, of course, and uh, organizing students that, no, we need to organize ourselves and participate in the national boycott and that was called and for education uh, because the main issue and the main gripe at the time was uh, that came up because we have to, during the process of mobilization, we must identify one issue that will actually make sense and uh, to the people and then they support your call for boycott. So it was about education, it was about bundle education.
Specifically, Bandi education was introduced <coughs> so that black people are having their own education, which is inferior. And of course, white people are having their own one, which is much more superior. Because as black people, we are actually regarded as a great tree and a third grade. We are ranked as number three and in the ranking of the citizens of the country. The first ones would be the white people. Then you have and the other groupings like your coloreds and, right. and Indians people. Then you have the, the Africans at the rock bottom. Right. So now, so we have our own education system which is supposed to be working on us so that we become and uh, hewers of wood and, 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 and all that and nothing else and become better laborers and workers and uh, who can be able to when somebody is saying and uh, give me a plier I must know what is a plier give me a hammer I must know what is a hammer and a type of thing to be a better worker and not to become creative and become truly an intellectual that can think on his own and be able to contribute to the economy of the country by innovating things. So when we realize all this, and also the language of uh, education was enforced where more of the predominantly English, it was being shifted to the Afrikaans language. That's what I heard, right. Then we're battling with English lands. Now all of a sudden we must Africans and mathematics in Africans. You Only say for your school, right? Mathematics. <coughs> now Africans versus gender. Then you have others, and I think it's Vikingkende. Uh, that would be agriculture uh, right. and uh, geography. Yeah, Vikingkende, uh, something like that. And uh, I still remember the terms, and uh, I may mess up a bit because of the memory. Right. And but and now I, I had to, I had to, all of us, we had to now starting to be uh, get these terms and concepts in Africans. When am I going to be able to intensify knowledge on this? Because I must battle first in understanding. I'm carrying my dictionary, the English Africans dictionary. Then later there were few, uh, maybe African language, English, Africans dictionary. So I'm walking around with this small dictionary wherever I go and when I get into the class, I'm okay, in Corsa we call this and Isbalo, which is arithmetic. In Corsa then in English it's arithmetic. Then in, uh, in Africans it's Rekenkende. And uh, arithmetic, I think so. I think it's reckoned. So you battle in that way. Now, how old were you when, this, when that was that, when that was in, you know installed? How old were you at that time? I was uh, in the twenties, early twenties. Yeah. And you 20s. hadn't been speaking Afrikaans at all. No, I mean you you do speak Afrikaans, but not really, just a few words. Yes, you right. do speak Afrikaans because you have Afrikaans as one as one language in the class, but not to be enforced on other important subjects like and the arithmetic and the mathematics and the geography and all that and history 
and uh, it, beca it became very, very difficult. It was an uphill. Mm -hmm. So as young students, we mobilized ourselves all over the country and stood up against the apartheid Bantu education. This education system that was meant for and the Africans was called Bantu education. It's education for Abantu, and, uh, which is the Bantus and uh, us. And wow. it had to be that inferior. So we stood up. And when we tried to do that in my college, then some of you of us were actually expelled. Of I was amongst those that were expelled myself. So I kissed bye-bye to my and, uh, career of being a, a land surveyor. Yeah. And then I went away and, and uh, started to do some little bit there, little bit there with my little knowledge of land surveying. And from there, I ended up being a medical technology assistant in a, in a hospital, working in the laboratory. And they wanted to train me to become a, a specialized medical technologist. And I said, at the end of the year, when we're supposed to be taken to the training center, I said, no, unfortunately. And a very good man who was a senior medical and uh, technologist, Mr. Fanad Linden, persuaded me, said that, man, I'm old, and I thought that you are going to take over and uh, please go to Edendale for training, and, uh, which was a college in, in Durban. Wait, is this, is this professor, was he a black, was he African? He was, a, he was no, he was, a, he was, he was white. white. White, okay. Not every white I know, person, I know. The, not the, every white person I know, I know. was for apartheid. I it know. is important for us to note. Because that. even right. within the ANC, we had white people. We had white people that were incarcerated. We had white people that were sent to the gallows. We had right. white people That's that right. were, you know, I struggling know. with us. And, uh, but because they realized that this system is very, very and, uh, barbaric. And uh, so Mr. Fanalin then tried and explained to me, you will definitely be a very good one. I can see the way you're working with the pipettes and what have you, all the instruments in the... I said, no. He said, tell me why. I said, the life is too quiet here in the land. <laughs> I'm not meant for this life. And I said, the little money that I have, I'm going to the university. Lance, I did not tell my parents that I've been kicked out of the college. They did not know? No. Because my father was working in the factory at Volkswagen Motor Manufacturing Company, and he was boasting there. He was boasting and telling people, hey, I'm having a son that is going to become a land surveyor. And so he's very happy. He's going to have a Leonard son. And uh, in my language, in the Kosa language, uh, Lensa Vea is called Unotanda, the one who actually and uh, divide lands and so on, Unotanda. So he was boasting as he was working there, and people were respecting him because his son is going to become a Lensa Vea, which was a rare profession amongst and, uh, black people. And it was not to be when I was expelled. And now I was afraid. I didn't want to go home and tell my mother. My, oh. my mother and my father went over to another area, uh, to East London area, and I stayed there with my cousins. And, uh, and I looked for a job in that area. That's where I got the job at the hospital, Cecilia Makiwan Hospital, the biggest hospital of the area. So 
I tried my luck. And then after collecting a few cents, I applied at the University of Forte, the first black university in the Southern Africa where Nelson Mandela and many others, Oliver Tambo, Robert Mugabe, and they studied. I went to that university, registered in commerce department. I wanted to become an, uh, an economist. You changed to economist completely. Why? Everything now. Now, now, I was starting to be, you know, right. uh, clever. Okay. And say that okay, this thing oppression mm. and exploitation is about the economy. It's about the management of the economy. The whole political situation in the country is about discrimination. Everything in apartheid is about the control of the economy and the resources of the, of the country. And therefore, I must know something about this. I must intensify my knowledge in this. So that's why I veered to uh, commerce. Mm -hmm. Guess what happened? What happened? And uh, unfortunately, Steve Bigger dies. That's right. Steve Bigger, he didn't die, he was killed, yes. Yeah, dies, killed. Mm -hmm. All of us were taken to prison. And they picked up everyone. Everyone at the university. And uh, luckily, we stayed there. And we had very, very strong lawyers that actually mobilized everything and were taken in and the court and were released, all of us. How long were you there? And No, no, it was a limited time. Okay. I think we must have stayed for for few, few weeks or months. Yeah, or a month, some, somewhere there. Now we came back, back to school at the university, continued. Again, 1980, when I was at the final year with my commerce, national boycott, released Nelson Mandela campaign. Nationally, people are fed up, been receiving messages from our leaders in exile, Oliver Tambo and others, up the temple on the struggle for liberation to break the chains of oppression and therefore take the apartheid into the doorsteps of the very people that have created it so that they can see the pain that you are suffering. You as students, you had to be up there. So we up the temple and strongly release Nelson Mandela campaign and unban the African National Congress and unban and the many leaders that were uh, banned and uh, that, that were in uh, leaders who were in, in house arrest, liberate the country. Let's have a non-racial South Africa. And and the rights of the workers and everything. It was a real struggle now, right. struggle. And I was actually getting excited, and many of us were getting excited that now we're in the thing now, now because now we understand. And we're starting now to read, listening to Martin Luther King. Because the Civil Rights Act was right. Absolutely, All and a lot, right. and a lot from US revolutionaries and, and uh, revolutionaries from Latin America, revolutionaries from all over, Fidel Castro and the Cuban revolutions, the Soviet revolutions. And now we're getting to understand, okay, 
who is supporting us in the world? Our struggle. Who are our friends? Then we got to know that Soviet was contributing because our people who are in exile, led by and uh, Oliver Tambo, were trained in various countries of the world within the continent of Africa, countries like Zambia, Tanzania, Ethiopia, and so on and so forth. And some of the countries just next door were getting and uh, destabilized because the apartheid government was desperate now because these countries were anti the system of, of apartheid until such time eventually apartheid or South African government was regarded as a pariah state by the countries and participating at the UN. In that 1980, we led the, the struggle at the university and had the university meetings, all univers black universities in Devon and in KwaZulu-Natal. We sat down and worked out a strategy to actually lift up uh, the protests. And unfortunately, the University of Forte, when others actually took a decision, no, now let's, a protest is more like a, a punching bag. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you don't punch the bag until you die. You punch the bag, you move out. You punch the bag in boxing and you move out. You do the, the shuffling around and move in. You don't just stand and punch and punch and punch. So we said, uh-uh, at, at, at Forte. We agree it is a right tactic. But at the same time, there's a point where you must put up a very strong statement that enough is enough. So we continued with the boycott. And the university was closed, and many of us were sent home. And many were recalled to come back. And few were not called to come back. And I, um, and I was amongst those people. And I was at the final year of my become degree. And I wanted to be very proud to tell my father. At that time, I had already told my father, now I am going to work at the bank, Dad. He <laughs> says, really? I said, now I'm going to be a banker because I'm studying commerce. You can imagine in those days, people respected the banks. They loved the banks because that's where the money is kept. To have your son standing on the other side wearing tie and suit, counting monies and doing everything for people as a banker, it's a very, very big privilege and uh, for any parent. But it was not to be because mm. I was chased out. And then that was the end of it. And then, but at the, luckily, at that time, the Barclays Bank had recruited, was starting to recruit the final year students. And I was amongst those that were recruited by the Barclays Bank, chosen to be an executive trainee. For the first time, the banks were beginning to transform and getting black people to be in the executive. And I was chosen to be amongst those. Mm. But here am I not finishing my degree. And that was the end of it. But the bank said, because we looked at your results and everything, we're still interested in you. But now we want to start as a, as a teller. A, a teller? A teller. Teller when it's 
at the bank. Oh, yeah. teller, okay, teller. teller in the bank, okay, yes. Yeah. Counting yes. money and serving right. people. So I said, no, it's fine, because I'm looking for a job. So I became a teller at Barclays Bank, and from there I, uh, again, the birth of the new, after the, the burning of the ANC, and the people of South Africa decided to come up with a new organization, umbrella organization of all different formations, churches, sports, every, everybody, civil organizations, and uh, came together to form what was referred to as a United Democratic Front, UDF. You would remember people like uh, Alan Bussack and uh, uh, people like Bishop Tutu and others at the time, very strong, and uh, Beas Nordier and others in the forefront. So UDF was born, and it was an interesting period. Did you join? Time. Did you join that? I was part of it. You were part of it. Active. I was not only part. I was a leader. From the initial. From the initial. From yes. The part. I was there from the beginning. <coughs> so at that time, you must have been, you were still in your 20s. At that time, I was in the 30s, somewhere oh, there. Oh, 30s? Yeah, I think 30s then? late okay. 20s, 30s, yes. Okay. Right. Then uh, the bank said to me, I was working at the bank as a teller. The unfortunate thing, we take a decision to say that boycott. <laughs> People must not buy in town, in the shops. People must go back and buy in the locations where they stay, in the small shops there, at general dealers of the black people, so that we make the economy to feel. Those who take the decision to support the system, they must feel it. And what, what happens as a leader of UDF? You are at the bank, you are counting money of people, and uh, the, the, the companies who are banking the bank, and at the same time as a leader, you go out during lunchtime, you monitor that people must not buy. What a contradiction. That's right. So the security system were actually monitoring us as well. And they, now and again, I would be taken in. And the bank said, man, now and again, you get arrested and detained for monitoring uh, the boycott and what have you. Man, please, man, stop this because we need you at the bank. You're a good guy here and so on in your work. Warning, I continued. But at the end, and they came back again because I didn't stop. And they sent me a letter from headquarters saying that you have to take a choice now, whether you are working for the bank as teller number one, was responsible even for ordering money from the Reserve Bank, or you go in the streets permanently and do what you're doing. I said, there's no choice. I'm going in the streets. So that's how I left the bank. Were you married at this time? At that time, I was uh, not yet married. So you had No, 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 no. I was married at that time, sorry. Okay. I was married at that time. And had yes. kids? No. No kids. Okay. No kids at the time. Oh, we yeah. just started and, uh, our marriage. Yes, started our marriage at the time. Then okay. I continued as an activist and uh, unemployed until the churches, the Southern Council of Churches, under the World Council of Churches, 
employed me at, at the regional level, the Border Council of Churches. The Border Region was the region where I was operating as an activist. I was employed as now uh, to be responsible for community development. Beautiful, wonderful response because now I was interacting with people. That's the life that I wanted. Went out and uh, setting projects with people because sewing projects, gardening projects, making people to be self-sufficient, starting to read and the documents about self-sufficiency and and all that, and uh, looking at various models of cooperatives all over the world, the Mondragon, and the ex experiment of the Spain, which is one of the successful uh, examples of cooperatives, trying to introduce this amongst the people so that people begin to come together because it tallies with Ubuntu. I am because you are. Oh, right. We start to do things, start to, to, to sue things, and uh, don't go to sales house and, and so on and buy the uniforms, which is a big company. You can actually do these uniforms in your own village, buy a few machines and you get the old ladies to actually do and they actually do that. They do their community gardens and they harvest, they sell the surplus in town and sell amongst themselves. That was the idea. The churches, the role of the churches in the struggle they saved many of us, many of us, and uh, who could not get employment. And uh, because once you are in the list, it's difficult for you to be employed anywhere. And uh, so that's what happened. That was the life. Then come 1994. But it wasn't in 1990 that apartheid stopped? Yes. That's when there's so much pressure from outside, outside and neighbors and, and inside, just, everywhere. Uh, the U.S. had a boycott. Yes. You know, they tried to do it other and ways, but they yes. were quiet. <coughs> the U.S. was quiet about it at first. They didn't want to say anything at the Initially, beginning. Initially, yes. And many people did, some of the other countries as well. But after it came up to a groundswell, and the white South Africans couldn't take it anymore. Absolutely. And if you remember, during the... Former U.S. President Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan right. when came, up, came up with the with the constructive engagement policy, if I remember, and uh, where now, much as we differ with you, South Africa in this apartheid, but we don't want to talk about it very. Please try and to come up with re reforms, but we are not taking any strong decision right. against you because you are our friends. That's right. And the, he, the, against communism, they thought. Absolutely. Right. That was the issue. That was against the, that communism. Issue. That was the issue. That was the issue. But once because we were helped by right. Soviet. Right. Now, <laughs> and we're calling for assistance from everybody. Instead of just upping the budget and upping whatever assistance given to us by these others, they say, no, these are communists. Right. These are terrorists That's right. because they get help from there, they get help from China, and they are close with the with the right. Cubans. Right. And Ronald Reagan came up, and later on, the anti-apartheid policy or act in the U.S., which started now to and lift up and sanctions from U.S. against South Africa. That's right. When that happened, it now that was the things. last straw. Right of the South African government. And uh, these, these are very big players. It was very clear now, there was no option left 
Right. And uh, for the for the South African government at the time, the apartheid government, and uh, safe to say, and uh, let's who are ready to talk. Then we had visionaries, and Nelson Mandela in prison was putting up strong positions because they were calling now begging a person to, to be released, and the person says, no, I don't want to be released. <laughs> Make it Very more interesting. More pressure. Um, Absolutely. No, 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 I I'm, I'm, I'm staying here. <laughs> you, you, said, you said you want to keep me for life, so I'm, I want to stay here for life. Not unless. Right. Not unless A, B, C, C D. Right. <laughs> Oliver Tambo outside is mobilizing the world, and uh, headquarters in Lusaga, and they decide, okay, there's environment now in the world and in South Africa because big players in business, intellectuals, went over and uh, outside the country to start talking with the leaders that were regarded as terrorists. Right. Ah, everybody's shocked in the country. What? They met with the, with the ANC, with Oliver Tambo, with Alfred Nzor, Tabumbegi, and many others sat down and discussed, came out in the, in the biggest tabloid in the country, the Sunday Times. Yeah, these guys, and they're sitting and discussing in one room and they discover no one is having horns or tail. We are all human beings. Oh. And all of us are totally, totally committed and loyal to our country. True patriots. Both sides. And they came back in the country. They said, no, this must come to an end. Those guys are actually, we need them now, actually, because one, intellectually, they are very strong. Two, they have so much experience. And three, they can actually leave this country. We must be prepared. The people would follow them. That's right. Yeah. That's right. They believed in them. Then the government started. And yes, of course, sir. there was a resistance. That's right. B.W. Porter at the time, who was the president, resisted. And uh, of course, and uh, F.W. de Klerk mobilized, released Nelson Mandela. Right. Started the process of negotiations. Various stages leading to that. To the end until, of apartheid, right. Until, and then negotiations started. Called on all different organizations that were involved in the process of struggle. Let's sit around the table and talk about the future of our country. Creating a non-racial and a non-sexist, prosperous, democratic South Africa. Mm -hmm. And... But I think South Africa is the only country in history that we know of that's actually been able to get through that and forgive and no violence. Absolutely. No, no. No one's been able to do that because usually it's after a lot of blood. No. Well, there was a lot of blood, but yeah. not at the moment of giving Absolutely. up. Absolutely. And that, that was unique. That was It was definitely unique because, and I give credit myself to the leaders. Very smart decision. I give credit to the leaders, Lance, and uh, because don't think that Lance it was easy for the leaders as well because they were hot heads. They, they, look at people the, like me and many others of my generation. 
were saying, but how can we sit around the table? What about and uh, so and so? What all about so and so? What about history. the massacres? Oh, yes. What about this? What about yes. that? Yes, yes, yes. Leadership of Oliver Tambo Nelson Mandela stood firm. They did. This is the direction we're taking negotiations. Who is coming from outside? Not one from outside. All South Africans around the table negotiated for the for for, for the new South Africa, a democratic South Africa, non-racial, where people shall live together in peace, respecting the diversity, the cultures, the language, the cuisine, the attire, the dances, everything That's right. together as one. And Nelson Mandela during his inauguration never and never again should we tolerate discrimination of one people on the basis of the color of the skin. And never again that we should actually promote discrimination of any form. South Africans are very, very sensitive on such things until to date. We may quibble, of course, currently and then from there, a new structures were set up for unification of the country and various symbols, the flag that we have, which is a flag which, which depicts the rainbow nation at peace with itself. And that is my country that I represent here, South Africa as a diplomat. Now, you can see rugby. Uh, Nelson Mandela. Here, Nelson Mandela get into the stadium. He's wearing the, 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 the green and gold jersey with a cap, standing with his captain. Number six right. at the back, and the captain is number six. <laughs> he went to them before the match and said, you have to win this match, guys. And they did. We, we, we need this match for the country. <laughs> it's not only for the cup That's and right. for the World Cup. We need it for the country. To win the cup, that was amazing. And <laughs> playing against what team? Um, All blacks. All blacks. That's right. At that time. All blacks. Right. <laughs> With the at that time. That's right. Very strong. New Zealand was no joke. Invincible. That's right. With one of the best wings in history, John Alomu, a very fit guy. He was just trouncing on every <laughs> opponent, but to Springboks, South Africans. They were all over him until the last moment. They draw, the, the matches they draw until extra time and one fellow young flyer, Joel Stransky. Papa, it's a drop goal. Over three points ahead. The referee, brip, brip, game over. Everybody in the streets of South Africa lands. I'm sure. It was madness. It was that uh, people <laughs> took off their, people were just having their beers, people were having their bright place or barbecue, you call it. <laughs> right. It was just exciting. Where were you? Where were you at that time? Where were you? I was, I was at home at that time. I was in Johannesburg. Okay. And everybody. <laughs> no, no, I was not in Johannesburg. I was, I, I was in East London at the time. 
East London. East London. Watching the game. Watching the game with friends, all of us excited, families. <laughs> we can't believe black and white in the streets of South Africa. Hugging and hugging, just, uh, hugging, just, just hugging. feeling as one. Nation building needs visionaries. It needs people that can listen. It needs people with resilience on what they want, on the dream given to them by the very people, listening to these people and loving them last. Because you can't true. lead people if you don't love them. That's true. There must be passion. Nelson Mandela had that. You could see it oozing out of his eyes and the, the love and passion when he sees somebody, irrespective of the color. It's worse when he sees the future, the lifeblood, children. That's why, until the end, he said, the little that I have, and moved up and down and set up a committee, they must put up a hospital for children. That was Nelson Mandela. Then you had the unfortunate and the genius and of our struggle, Oliver Tambo, very extremely bright international diplomat to mobilize the world. And uh, he's actually one of the and, uh, people that we emulate as a diplomat. Very good in negotiations and speaking in a very easy way persuasively and advocating for his country and for his people, moving all over the world, convincing until the United Nations accepted that what is happening in South Africa is barbaric. Oliver Tambo, and when he came back after the unbanning of the ANC, unfortunately was not well. That's right. He had stroke. But he was there, Still there yes. until, until the end. Yes. Until the end. It's beautiful. Brought back the sons and daughters that were in exile, all of them. And uh, in the culture, mm -hmm. in the military, schools, and the trainees, activists in the various countries came back with Oliver Tambo, led by him. That's beautiful. Nelson Mandela opened the doors of prison inside the country, everybody ready to accept and listen. And we had to sit down now and listen. The real leaders are back. The leaders of the people are back. That's and the crafting of the country, its constitution, the constitution that we have even until today, the same way. One of the best judges in the U.S., Madame Ginsberg. Mm -hmm. May her soul rest in peace, I think so. I think so too. And said, when she was asked about the country where we need to draw lessons from in terms of the Constitution, and he said, South Africa. Let's look at that constitution of that country. I was shocked. Myself, ah, US judge saying about an African country. 
that we managed to come up with the constitution that can emulate that can be emulated by countries like US highly developed countries very sophisticated the paper that we put together by our leaders and us at the time because I was in the National Executive Committee of the ANC myself. Not only at that, I was also in the Working Committee of the ANC, spokesperson of the ANC so you as well. Yes. So I was there, part of the okay. negotiations, listening to our leaders, prepared to be, to be led, listening to the people on the ground, because during that negotiations, you had to go back to the people in the villages, in the townships, and say, this is the position that we're taking on the land. This is the position that we're taking on the economy, the position that we're taking with regard to women, and so on. And people say, no, 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 no. Change that. Put this clause and uh, introduce this. What about this? The workers. No, 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 no. We want this. We want this clause. Change that one to this from the people. That's why that constitution is like that. That's what worked, yes. You got the majority. Absolutely. And it was accepted. We had a country that we have today. That is beautiful. Loving that country and loving its people. Ambassador, I want to thank you so much. Before I end, before I end the podcast, there's a question I'd like to ask yes, everyone. Sir. If you could magically go back in time and meet the younger Go Yama. Yes, sir. And give him advice based upon what you know now. How old would he be, and what advice would you give him? I would actually say to him that uh, make sure that you listen all the time. How old is he when you're talking to him? I'm talking to him, to him at that age, maybe about uh, 20, in the 20s. Please, Lulama, listen, learn. Remain humble and instill love for people. Because it is that love, it was it is that humility that will make you a better human being. It is that compassion that will instill resilience against anything that is wrong in protection of your country. It is that compassion that will make you to be a strong and good diplomat that does not misrepresent your country that listens and represents your country with earnest that would be my advice to that chap and maybe that chap will have his own ideas as well but that will be my humble advice to him I believe you actually went back in time and gave it to him because that's what you are. <laughs> thank you so much, Ambassador. I really appreciate it much. so much. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe. And never forget, it's all on loan, so continue to reach for the stars. Because you are too blessed to be stressed.